وَلِكُنِّنْ جَعَلْنَا مَوَالِيَ And for every person, we have made heirs. لِكُلِّنْ Meaning for every individual, for every person, man or woman, someone who has a lot of relatives or doesn't have many relatives, someone who is an orphan or someone who has family, whoever it is, every individual, married or unmarried, whatever their social status is, whatever their status is, regardless, for every person, Allah has made mawali. Who are mawali? Plural of the word mawla. And the word mawla has many meanings. It means patron, guardian, and it also gives the meaning of heir. So over here it means heir. So every person has heirs, meaning every person has relatives and the relatives deserve a portion of the estate that that person leaves behind. Is that so? Yes. We have learned about Ayatul Miras, the verses about the inheritance, and we saw that different relatives receive different shares, and every person's estate has to be distributed. Even to the point that if there is a baby who is born, and after a few seconds he dies, then you know what? Even his estate, whatever little he owns, or whatever he inherited from his parents, will be distributed amongst his heirs. So for example, a woman was expecting her husband passed away. Alright? Her husband passed away, she's expecting. Now the estate will not be distributed until she gives birth. Because if it's a boy, the share will be different. If it's a girl, the share will be different. Now let's say she gives birth, it's a boy. The boy is born alive, but after a few seconds, literally, he dies. Then you know what? That boy will be assigned the share from his father's estate, and then that share will be distributed amongst that child's heirs. Can you imagine? This is how precise, this is how detailed, this is how just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's law is. That for every person, the heirs are designated. Mimma from that which, تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ Taraka he left who? Al-walidan, the parents, wal-akrabun, and the near relatives. Meaning, a person inherits from his parents, he inherits from his close relatives, whatever they leave behind, he has his designated share. وَالَّذِينَ And those people who عَقَدَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ عَقَدَتْ From the root letters, عَيْنْ قَافْ دَالْ عَقْدْ Is to tie a knot, to make a contract. So, and أَيْمَان is the plural of yameen. What does yameen mean? It gives the meaning of an oath. So, you swore oaths, and with those oaths, you made some ties. What does this refer to? This refers to relationships that the Arabs had with other people, Based on what? Contracts and alliances. So for example, when the people of Mecca, the Muhajireen, they migrated from Mecca to Medina. What happened? The Prophet ﷺ established the bond of brotherhood between them. An Ansari man, a Muhajir man, became what? Brothers. And this is what the ayah is referring to, that الَّذِينَ عَقَدَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ Those with whom you have made alliances of friendship, of brotherhood, then such people also, فَآتُوهُمْ نَصِيبَهُمْ Give them their share. Give them their prescribed share. Meaning such individuals should also be given the share of inheritance that they deserve. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدًا Indeed, Allah is witness over everything. Now what does this refer to? Remember that when the Muhajirin migrated to Medina, the brotherhood was established between them and the Ansar. And... This brotherhood meant that both of them were like brothers to each other. Which meant that they lived close to each other, they helped one another, they financially supported each other. And this also meant that if one of them died, the other would inherit from him. Alright? That if one person died, then the other inherited from him. And initially, the brother he was assigned the share of one-sixth of the estate. How much was the share? One-sixth of the estate. This was the law that was prescribed initially. However, later on, this was abrogated. Meaning this law was cancelled. And the inheritance was only to be given to who? To the relatives of a person. Not friends, not allies, but who? Only the relatives. Through blood or through marriage, only such people deserved share of inheritance. Why do you think this was abrogated? Why do you think so? 
Exactly. It was necessary only for that time period. Because the Muhajireen had left everything. And they had migrated to Medina. They really had nothing. And they were very close to the Ansar. So this is the reason why this relationship was established between them. However, later on, this was cancelled. But remember that even though it is abrogated, this is still applicable. Applicable in what way? That if a person has made a will, that after I die, a third of my estate, all right, or a fifth of my estate, a sixth of my estate, an eighth of my estate should be given to this really good close friend of mine. Can that be done? Yes, it has to be done. It has to be done. Because remember that the will can be made up to how much? Only a third of the wealth. So if it's within that, a person has made a will, then it has to be done. The share must be given. And a person should remember that, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدًا Allah is witnessing everything. That person may have died. He cannot ensure whether we have given the designated portion to the one whom he wanted. But who is watching? Who is watching? Allah is watching. So fear him. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الرِّجَالُ The men, قَوَّامُونَ They are in charge of who? عَلَى nisa Over the women. The word قَوَّامُون is a plural of قَوَّام. And قَوَّام is from قَائِم. قَائِم is one who does قِيَام. What is قِيَام? What I'm doing right now. Okay? But as I'm standing, am I just standing and looking at nothing? No, I'm watching you. Who is looking back and who is looking at their notes and who is paying attention and who is looking at their phone and who is uh, dozing off, right? I'm watching you guys to make sure that you're doing what you're doing correctly, right? So this is who a qa'im is. Someone who is standing to ensure that everything is being done right, that everything is in order, that if anyone needs something, they are provided that. So, Qa'im is basically someone who is in charge, someone who is standing, meaning looking after, maintaining. This is Qa'im. Now Qawwam, Qawwam is one who is constantly in every state, always, all the time, no matter what the situation is, regardless of the circumstances, still they are looking after, maintaining, watching over the other individual. Now for example, Qa'im would mean that I'm only able to look at one or two people and eventually I go and sit there and I can't watch over you. But Qawwam is someone who is constantly standing and going about. Like sometimes I see Sister Saima, like she's just standing there watching everybody. And then she's there, she's watching everybody. And then they're watching everybody. constantly. You know, I look here, I look there, I move away. But there's one person whose eyes are constantly on you. Okay? So this is who Qawwam is constantly in every situation, regardless of the circumstances. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the men are Qawwam over women, meaning they are to look after the women, they are to provide for them, they are their guardians, their custodians, responsible for their well-being and safety. The men are to teach the women, the men are to instruct the women, and because of this reason they also have Authority over them. This is the reason why they also have authority over them. So for example, a father, he is qawam over his daughters. Likewise, a husband is qawam over his wife. Alright? Likewise, a brother is qawam over his sisters, provided that they are dependent on him. I mean, if they're married, that's a different case. But if they're living under his care, then he is the qawam over them. Now, a person might say, but why are men made qawwam over women? I mean, you know, this gives men a higher status compared to that of women. Right? This is like men are greater and women are lesser. But the thing is that if there's any group of people that are working together, that are in the same space, then the final authority has to be given to who? One individual. Why? Because if there is no one individual who has the final say in matters, who is responsible, who is in charge, then what will happen? What will happen? Everybody will try to have authority and this will lead to conflict, right? Or sometimes what happens is that people think, oh, they will do the job. Oh, no, 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 she will do it. No, he will do it. And like this, nothing is done. 
Isn't that so? So for example, if it's not clear who is the boss and who are the workers, then what will happen? Everybody will expect other people to do the work. Nobody's answerable to anybody. Nobody's taking others into account. So when nobody's being watched, nobody's being checked, then what will happen? No one will do the work. You understand? So this is the reason why one person is necessary to be the in charge, to be the leader. That sometimes if kids want something, they go ask their mom, Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I do this? And she's like, no, no, go ask your dad. And they go to the dad and, Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we have this? And they go ask your mom. And the kids are running back and forth between mom and dad and nobody's saying anything and the kids are lost. Alright? So someone, one individual has to make the final decision so that everything is being done, people are being looked after, their needs are not being neglected, and the responsibilities, the duties are being fulfilled. There has to be a leader. And we see that where a leader is missing, then there is fasad. Isn't that so? We see this in world politics, we see this in organizations, in companies, where the leader is missing, then there is absolute fasad. There is injustice. So this is why a leader has been appointed. Now, a person might say, but still, why the man? I mean, what if the woman was more capable and intelligent and highly qualified and, you know, she makes more money? Then why not her in that situation? Why shouldn't she be in charge? Why is the man in charge? Because if this was left to individual cases, that for example, the man and the woman, as they get married, they decide, okay, the wife is the boss. No, okay, the husband is the boss. If they were left to make this decision, then what would happen? They would never come to an agreement. They would never come to an agreement. We see, for example, when there's elections, right? What happens? One person is chosen, but then people say, oh no, the elections were rigged, this was unfair, so we have to do this all over again. People don't accept it. Isn't it so? I mean, despite the fact that you have clear statistics, clear numbers, but still people don't accept it. And even if one person is chosen by the majority, still the minority will not leave them. See what's happening with Toronto's mayor these days? What's happening with him? There are people who are constantly behind him. You know, one thing is barely over that another fitna begins. Right? And if you think about it, people chose him. So if the decision was left to people, to individuals, to families, that you decide whether the man is qawam or the woman is qawam, then the decision would never be made. And even if it were made, people would never be happy. They would never be happy. This is the reason why Allah, out of His mercy, has chosen the leader in the family. So that the rest of us, the rest of the people, they just submit and surrender. They accept it. Because once you accept something, then it's easier to deal with it. But when you're in denial, then you can't deal with it at all. So Allah has made the men qawwam over the women. They are responsible. They are the maintainers. They are to look after. They are to maintain the well-being of the women. Alright? And because of that reason, they also have authority. But what's the reason? Why did Allah choose men? Because obviously if Allah has chosen someone for a particular task, then there is a reason behind that. There is some wisdom behind that. For example, if Muhammad wasallam was chosen as a last messenger, as the messenger, was there a reason behind that? Yes. His reputation, his akhlaq, the tribe he came from, the time he was born in, right? Because of all those reasons, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him and not other influential people of Makkah as the messenger. Alright? So why is the reason that Allah chose men? And also remember that when Allah gives a certain responsibility to an individual, when Allah chooses a specific role for an individual, then He also gives him the capacity to perform that role, to fulfill that role. You know, for example, if cows are to produce milk, they have that system. They don't have to take hormones to produce milk. They don't have, you know, a special diet to produce milk. Right? They have that system built in. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made men in a particular way so that they're actually able to fulfill this purpose. They're able to fulfill this role. Yes, that they have something that enables them to fulfill that role of leadership. So what is it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, بِمَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بَعْضَهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضُ The reason why Allah has chosen the men as a leader is because 
بِمَان because of what? فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ Allah has preferred. فَضَّلَ تَفْضِيل فَضَّلَ لَمْ To give one more than the other. Meaning to give him something that the other has not been given. So for example, you have تَفْضِيل over your younger sibling. Okay? That Allah created you before them. Okay? So you have something that they do not have. It doesn't mean necessarily that you are nothing because of this. No. You also have some qualities. But in comparison, obviously you two are not identical. But there's something that the men have been given which enables them to fulfill this role. Alright? And this something, women have not been given. Which is why if they were forced into this position, they would not be able to fulfill it. Alright? This does not mean that, oh, men are better than women. This is not what the meaning is. This means that men have been equipped with something which enables them to fulfill their role of leadership in the family. Alright? Now what is it that they have been given which helps them? What is it that they have been given? And remember that this is in general, on average, we're talking about average people. We're not talking about exceptions. That a woman says, no, I'm smarter than my husband. I'm more strong than my husband. My husband's such a weakling. He's always you know, sick or resting or sleeping. And here I am up at five, working all day. And there he is sitting on the couch doing nothing. I have more strength than him. No, we're talking about normal people, like average. Okay? What happens all over the world. Okay? There may be exceptions. So what the men have been given is what? Quwa. Strength. Strength that enables them to fulfill the role of leadership. What kind of strength? Two kinds of strengths. One, quwa zahira. Okay? Apparent strength. Obvious strength. Manifest strength. That is very visible. That is very clear. And this includes, for example, physical strength that they have been given. Alright? I mean, when you're moving or when you are putting some furniture together or bringing heavy groceries in, then who does the heavy work? The heavy lifting? It's the men usually. The women don't do that. I mean, yes, there are exceptions. Women who are very strong, they will do better. But in general, who does physical work? Men. You know, for example, in construction, will you ever find women who are working as construction workers? Yes, but only a few. Right? Why? Because construction work demands a lot of physical labor, physical effort. And men are capable of doing that. Now, a leader has been given physical strength. Why? Because he has to look after others. If he does not have physical strength, how can he look after others? If the man did not have physical strength, how was he to look after the women who are under his care? Think about it. You know, I went for Hajj and I saw many groups that the men had, you know, made circles, okay, holding hands with each other, making circles. And inside that circle were their women. So for example, 20, 30 men had made circles holding hands and their women were inside. And like this, they were walking all of them together, went all the way to the jimar to throw the stones. Why? Because in that crowd where people are pushing and falling on one another, it's inevitable, right? Women are secure in this way. Alright? Men are able to hold their ground. Like they have strong arms and strong legs and strong shoulders. So if somebody falls on them, they're still able to stand firmly. But a woman, if somebody falls on her, she's like, ah! And screaming and falling on other women and ouch! And do you see what I mean? This is how typically women are. And honestly, when I went for Umrah, this was before I was married, my dad was with us, three sisters, my mom. And obviously in that crowd, you want to go and do tawaf around the Kaaba. But in Ramadan, at the time of Hajj, any time of the year in fact, what do you see around the Kaaba? So much crowd, there's so many people. And you're trying, but you're being squished, and then there are men, and you're like, oh, you want to get out, but you want to be there. And at that time I was like, you know what, when I get married, I want to come with my husband. Because I saw some women, they were going so easily, their husbands had just, you know, covered them from the back. Anybody who dared to push them, you know, get away from my wife, don't you dare touch her. I was like, I want that too. Right? A bodyguard, basically. So, 
men have been given physical strength, which helps them fulfill their role. And women have not been given that. And yes, women are strong. They're not weak. They are strong. But still, what happens? What happens? Once a month, they are just, you know, useless. They're just lying down, cramping away, crying away. Right? And if at that time, your spouse needs your help, they need to be driven somewhere or heavy groceries need to be brought in the house or you guys need to go to Costco and bring all the suppliers for the month, you'll be like, no way, I can't do this. Do it yourself. Alright? A woman goes through pregnancy, through childbirth. She has, you know, children with her. So she has basically been dealt with a lot of ease when this responsibility has been taken away from her. When she is being protected instead of being the protector. It's always easier to be protected than be the protector. Right? It's always easier to be the one who is being taken care of than the one who has to take care of others. So the men have been granted quwa zahira. Secondly, they have also been granted quwa batina. Meaning, hidden strength. Strength that you don't necessarily see, but it's there. And where is that strength? In the heart, in the mind. Right? I'm not saying that this means they're more intelligent. They're good at math and English and whatever. No, this is not what the meaning is. Because women can be smarter when it comes to math. They can be smarter when it comes to engineering. But men have something that women lack. And what is that? They have confidence. They have confidence. And women also have confidence, but men generally, you know, if there's a leaky faucet, yeah, yeah, I'll fix it. Yeah. I'll figure it out. And a woman's cooking. Do you think this is right? Does it look right? Mom, I'll take a picture and send it to you. Tell me if this looks right. Constantly calling their husbands. Can you please taste it? Can you please check if the chicken is done? And the man's like, yeah, I'll fix the faucet. I'll do the vacuum. I'll lift it all the way. And I'll do the work. And yeah, I can do everything myself. They have that confidence, which is why they can take steps. Right? They can go forward. And women generally, they're a little hesitant. Generally. Alright? Like it was mentioned earlier, that men are emotionally stronger and women are not. Okay? Men are emotionally stronger, women are not. When I was in school in Pakistan, what happens is that at home time, there are lots of people who come outside, you know, with carts, trying to sell something or the other. I went to an all-girls private school and... Outside of that, no men were allowed to stand unless they were actually there to pick up the girls who were inside. So that meant anyone who tried to sell something was also kicked out. There was a man, a poor man, who was trying to sell some kind of food. I don't know what it was. And the gatekeeper told him several times, go, you're not allowed to stand here. The security guard told him several times, he didn't listen. So the security guard went with his big stick. He's like, get out of here. And the man didn't move. So he struck him on his legs. I started screaming. I said, stop, stop, stop. I started crying, crying away. I could not tolerate the fact that he was hitting him. And the security guard had to stop because he thought I was having a panic attack or something. But I could not bear the scene of someone being beaten. I just couldn't. I just could not see that. And there were other people who were just laughing at that time. They thought it was really funny. I'm sure that was also funny. But the guy being beaten up, they thought it was kind of funny. I didn't think it was funny at all. Girls see blood and they start freaking out. And boys are like, what's the big deal? Girls will see a cockroach or, you know, a lizard or a snake or something and they'll be like, ah, screaming away. A spider and they'll freak out. Right? And there come men trying to protect the women. Yeah, where's a spider? Let me get it. And then they start screaming as well sometimes. But <laughs> in general, they have the guts to come and face the spider. Okay? Likewise, if a girl, you say something nasty to her, she will break down into tears immediately. You pass a comment on her clothes, on her hair, she'll become so self-conscious, she'll never come out before you the same way. But men, whatever. Right? They'll say something back. It's because She's saying that when she was younger, it was her brother or her father's job to come and kill the spider. And now it is her husband's job. So women are emotionally weaker. Right? They lack this inner strength. 
But women, generally, they have that. Likewise, they're braver, they are more logical as well. Isn't it so? They're more logical. Women, you know, their emotion takes over them and they lose all their logic. Somebody says something and they forget everything. And the men are like, so? What's the big deal? Right? If a child is acting up, the mother is yelling at her, pulling out her hair literally, and the father will say in very straight words, you know, something to the child and the child will calm down. I've experienced this. Okay? I've experienced this. Honestly, I have. So, this is a reality. So this enables them to be the leader. The second reason why Allah has chosen them is, وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ Because they span from their properties. Amwal, plural of man. Meaning the men, whatever money they make, whatever money they inherit, whatever money they get from anywhere, what do they do with that money? They spend. They are obligated to spend. If a woman receives some money from her parents, for example, she can keep it in the bank for literally eight years. Right? The husband will say, no, no, don't spend that, don't spend that. You know, when you really need it, then we'll touch that. But the husband, whatever money he's making, in one way, out the other, in one way, out the other, every month the account is drained. Typically we see this, that women, if they're working, the money they're making, the husband says, no, no, save it, keep it. But whatever money the husband is making, he is spending constantly. وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ At the time of marriage, the man has to spend and the woman give her a mahr. Right? And after the marriage, you know, he has to pay for her ticket and she, he has to pay for her shopping and her clothes and her wishes and her desires and her likes and her haircuts and her trips to the manicure, pedicures, trips to the salon for all of these things. He has to pay for everything. Right? And she is not obligated to. Yes, many women also spend on their families, but Islamically they're not obligated to do that. A man, he has that sense of responsibility that I have to spend on my children, I have to spend on my wife, I have to spend on my family. But a woman, when she has to spend, she doesn't like it because she knows it's not her responsibility. She doesn't want to. If she has to pay for her, let's say her dental checkups, she feels that it's unfair. My husband should be doing that. If she has to pay for something for the kids, she feels that it's unfair. My husband should be doing that. But when a husband does that, he knows he has to do it. Right? He can't get out of it. He has to do it. Yes, there are many men who don't do this, but they're falling short in their duty. And they're answerable to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, وَبِمَا أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ And because of this reason, because they spent... Alright? And because of the strength that they have been given, the ability that they have been given, this is the reason why they have also been given authority. That if the husband says, okay, we're moving from this house to the other, because this is what I feel is the best decision for us. And he is determined to do that. The wife has to obey. If the husband says that, no, you cannot work here. I don't want you to work here. I don't feel comfortable. Then the wife has to listen. If the husband says that, no, I want fresh food. Like I can't have food from three days ago. I'd like a fresh dinner. You know, I'm making money. I give you the money to go buy the groceries. I bring the groceries. Please give me something to eat, something nice, something I like. So it's the woman's responsibility to listen to him, to obey him. Because if she did not listen to him, if he did not have any authority, any say, then tell me, is this not injustice? Is this not injustice? It is pure injustice. That literally that husband, that man is like a slave then, right? That he is being made to do all the hard labor, alright? And secondly, whatever money he brings, he has to give to the wife or spend on the family. And then when it comes to his wishes, they're ignored. This is who a slave is. You know that? This is who a slave is. A slave is someone who doesn't have any say, he's used for making money, and he has to obey. A husband is not a slave, come on. This is not fair. So this is the reason why men have also been granted authority. Now many women they say, oh as women, as wives, we are not obligated to cook and clean for the husband. You know, he can cook himself, he can clean himself, he can do his own laundry, whatever. I'm not responsible. You know, I'm the queen and I'm supposed to be served and he's supposed to do everything. The thing is that the relationship between a husband and wife is a relationship in which both individuals are complementing one another, helping one another you know, making ease for one another. So if the husband has been obligated with earning and spending, then come on, the wife has been obligated with what? With listening to the husband, which is inshallah what we will learn.
So when she has to listen and obey to the husband, obviously in that which is understandable, in that which is acceptable, then if he expects from her to cook, if he expects from her to clean, then she should do that. And it's not fair that the husband is out nine to five, five days a week, on the weekends he's working, and he comes home and he's told, you know, go get your own dinner, go make it yourself. This is not fair. He's out the whole day working like a slave, literally, getting exhausted, dealing with so much stress. And when he comes home, he sees an unhappy wife, an arrogant woman who doesn't listen to him at all. This is not a relationship. This is not a healthy relationship. This is not love. These are the roles that Allah has prescribed for us and they are the best for us. And if we swap the roles, we switch them, then it's going to lead to arguments and unhappiness. Now remember that every case is different. Okay? It might be more suitable for a couple that, you know, for example, the woman is working, the man is working, and they have someone else cooking. Or they take turns in, in making dinner for the family. And if it's possible for them, and they're happy with it, good. But if it's not working out, then the man has to see what his role is, and the woman has to see what her role is. That men have been made the qawam. Now men have to be trained as qawam as well. Okay? What I mean by that is that men have to be trained to be like men. And who trains men? It is their parents, it is their mothers. So mothers, please train your boys to be good future husbands. Those of you who are mothers here, like honestly, give them the sense of responsibility that they have to look after instead of being looked after all the time. If they're not given any responsibility within the household, how will they grow up to be responsible individuals? They won't. And we see that happening these days. That men have no sense of responsibility at all. They make their money, you know, they spend wherever they want, and the wife is suffering so much. Why? Because this is how they grew up. They saw, you know, how things were in their houses. Somebody once mentioned to me that the first time ever they had their summer job, right? The first time ever they had their summer job, they brought money home, very happy, you know, I got my paycheck today. Imagine the excitement, even if it's a few hundred dollars. And their father said to them, divide this money between your sisters and your mother. You're not going to keep even a penny of it. You are the brother, you are the son. In future, you are the leader. You are responsible. This money is not for you. This money is so that you can look after your family. So divide it up, give some to your sisters, give some to your mother. This is what you have to do. And he did that. So this is the kind of training that men need so that they can be qawam, responsibility. And mothers need to put an effort as well. But unfortunately in many Muslim cultures, young boys, they are given so much freedom and allowances that just makes them proud but not responsible. This is incorrect. That if the daughter is expected to clean, to pitch in in housework, then the son should also be expected to do some housework. Not necessarily housework, but some kind of responsibility, right? Yes. That we see this happening as well, that girls are protected so much, Muslim girls, but when it comes to boys, when it comes to sons, you know, they're given all the freedom. They can go wherever, they can spend time with their friends, and the parents don't really worry too much about them, thinking that they're boys and nothing wrong can happen with them. But the fact is that many boys, Muslim boys, fall into fitna they end up doing many wrong things. Because after all, they're human beings as well. So anyway, the main lesson we learn over here is that men are the leaders because of the qualities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted them. And they have to be accepted as the leaders and they have to be trained as leaders as well. What about the women? فَالصَّالِحَاتُ So the righteous women, good women. Bias women, excellent women, الصالحات, plural of صالحة. Who is she? The one who is good, the one who is pious, صلاح, righteousness, goodness, piety. So a good women are which ones? قانتاتٌ, ones that are devoutly obedient. حافظاتٌ للغيبي, guarding in the absence. Absence of who? The absence of the husband. Two qualities have been given over here of good women. What are they? First of all, they are qanita, plural of qanita. Qanita is from qunut. What is qunut? We have done this word earlier. What is qunut? Waqnuti ma'al qanitin. Maryam alayhi salam was told. Constant obedience with humility. 
constant obedience with humility. In other words, good women are who? Who are obedient to their husbands. This doesn't mean that they have no say, they don't give any suggestion, they don't speak up. They're just living, they're just existing to please their husbands and do nothing else in this world, in this life of theirs. And even if the husband tells them to do something wrong, if the husband says, I don't want you to wear the hijab, oh yes, I'm so obedient to you, I won't wear hijab. If the husband says, don't pray right now, and Maghrib Salah is about to be over, oh yes, I'm so obedient to my husband, I'm not going to pray. If the husband says, don't you dare talk to your mom, and she says, yes, I'm never going to talk to my mom. If the husband says, do something wrong, and she does it. No, this is not what obedience means. Alright? Or if the husband says, I'm not going to spend any penny on you, you don't dare speak up, don't you dare call any counselor, don't you dare get any help, and she's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be eating to my husband, so even if I'm being oppressed, even if I'm being abused, I'm supposed to be silent about it. No. This is not what qanita means. Qanita means, one who is obedient in matters that are acceptable, in matters that are conventional, in matters that are reasonable, alright? Culturally, socially, as well as religiously. So for example, religiously, if the husband tells her to do something, that's good. That is rewardable. Then should she do it? Yes, she should do it. So for example, if the husband says to the wife, I would like you to wear hijab. I really want you to do that. And the wife's like, what? I'm not going to. If the husband says, I would like you to not wear the scarf because it's a little too bright and you know attractive. Husband can say that, right? That I feel uncomfortable when you wear that because all the men stare at you and I don't like it. So what should the wife say? Mind your own business. What have you got to do with my hijab? I don't say anything about your beard. Don't say anything to me about my hijab. Is that what her response should be? No. I accept what he's saying because he's a guy and he knows. He knows how other people are looking at you and how they're not looking at you. So listen to him. If he's telling you to do something, that's right. Alright? So religiously. Secondly, what is acceptable culturally? Now every culture has different norms, different values, different expectations of different individuals. So for example, culturally, if a woman is expected to cook in the house, to cook for the family, to cook for the extended family, for example, it's a joint family that they're living in and that is what happens in that culture, for example, and the wife is expected to cook for the entire family, the husband says, please do that, I want you to do that, I love the way you cook. You know, it'll be very easy for my mom, she's got severe arthritis on her fingers, she's cooked all her life for me. Now I want you to cook for the rest of the family. So that's culturally acceptable. Should she do it? Yes. It's not unreasonable. Now if he says, prepare three meals every day, Different from my mom, different from me, different from my father, and different for the kids. Four. And three times a day. And everything has to be on the table. You know, and you have to do everything yourself. My mother, even though she's healthy and capable, she doesn't need to help you. She doesn't need to do anything. You do everything. That's not reasonable. Or for example, the husband, you know, they had, let's say, a nanny in the house. But as soon as the wife came in, the nanny got fired. The maid who used to come and clean, the cleaning lady, that she got fired and now the wife is expected to do everything for everybody. That's not reasonable. And it happens unfortunately. That's not reasonable. But if something is reasonable, that my mom is working or you know she is sick and it's not a big deal if you have to clean the house. I mean, you clean your parents' house as well, don't you? You clean your own house as well, don't you? So why can't you clean your in-law's house if you're living with them? And that is your house if you're living with them. So if the husband expects you to do that, that is reasonable and you should do it. Alright? So something that is culturally acceptable, culturally reasonable, you have to obey the husband. You understand? Now where things get unreasonable, then you get help. Alright? Or you speak up. So فَالصَّالِحَاتُ قَانِتَاتُ They are obedient. And basically this obedience, it gives a meaning of they are not arrogant. They're not arrogant towards their husbands. They listen to them. They speak like a woman should speak to a husband. You know, some women, they treat their husbands like they're friends or they are just their, their brothers. So the way they speak to their brother, they will speak to their husband. 
The way they speak to their friends, they will speak to their husband. I mean, it's nice that you have a good relationship, a frank relationship, but that should not lead to disrespect. Alright? That if the husband is saying something there, you yell at him and you're, you know, you are saying nasty things to him and you are swearing at him and cursing him. Women do that sometimes. They yell at their husbands as if they are children, as if they are nobody. This is disrespect for the husband and this is something that does not suit an obedient woman. Yes. That generally, men, they spend on the family, they take care of the wife, you know, they are protective about her, and what do they want in return? Respect. Alright? And a woman, what does she do? She obeys the husband, she cooks for him, she cleans for him, and she does things to make him happy, and in return, what does she want? Love. Isn't it so? Now, what happens is, that where the man does not fulfill his responsibility, then the wife becomes hurt and then she doesn't want to obey him, she doesn't want to listen to him, so she ends up disrespecting him. When she disrespects him, he gets upset and he doesn't show any love, in fact he's angry, and then when he's angry, she disrespects him even more. So it's like a vicious cycle. The thing is that when you're good to the husband, the husband is going to be good to you. Alright? It's a cycle that you fall into. And the moment you start disobeying him, He's going to start being rude to you. We're just going to make you more disobedient to him. Remember we learned, وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ عَاشِرُوا It is both-sided. You have to live in a good way, and the other has to live in a good way as well. You can't just expect the other individual to be loving and caring all the time. Even if you're sleeping away in the morning, and the poor guy is running, rushing out of the house, trying to figure out what he has to eat right now, what he has to eat later, and he comes home, no laundry done, nothing... I mean, obviously this is going to lead to a bad relationship. So either you fall into a good cycle or a bad cycle. If you're ever stuck in the bad cycle, stop, take a break, and immediately analyze yourself. Are you being of the qanitat? You will realize that you're falling short in your duty. And the moment you start being obedient to the husband, immediately you will get his love. You know, sometimes it's something as small as dressing nicely. Women, they're just pajamas and dirty clothes or like unironed clothes and on top they wear an abaya and they go out of the house and they come back and they take off their abaya. The clothes are smelly, faded, whatever. And they don't care about how they look. And the husband's like not interested in her at all. So if he tries to hug her, she smells. If he tries to come closer to her, you know, he's like, ugh. So why would he touch her even? And she says, oh, he doesn't hug me anymore. He doesn't love me anymore. Why am I even in this relationship still? Right? It leads to a bad cycle. So what do you need to do? Immediately start doing something that will please your husband. You will do that and things will change. Yes. When the husband is coming home, then go quickly do wudu, freshen yourself up, wear nice clothes, do something to your hair. I mean, look nicer for him. And immediately he will be happy to see you, he will say good things to you, and he will be relaxed, which will help you relax. This will lead to a healthy relationship. So, فَالصَّالِحَاتُ قَانِتَاتٌ They're not arrogant, they're humble, they're obedient. Secondly, حَافِظَاتُ لِلْغَيْبِ They are protectors, plural of حَافِظَةٌ حَافِظَةٌ One who does hifz. What does hifz mean? To guard, to preserve. They guard. What do they guard? لِلْغَيْبِ Al-ghaib is what? The hidden. That which is unseen. What does it mean by this? Meaning, in the time when the husband is away, he's not there, in the absence of the husband. Because when he's absent, then whatever is happening in the home, whatever is happening in your life, that is ghaib for him. Isn't it so? He doesn't have any means to find out who's coming in the house, what you're doing with the money, all right, what you're doing with yourself, he doesn't know. So, حَافِظَاتٌ لِلْغَيْب Meaning, they guard... In the absence of the husband. What do they guard? Bima hafil Allah. They guard that which Allah has entrusted them with. Entrusted who with? The women. Meaning, the women have been entrusted with certain things. They have to look after certain things. So when the husband is away, they look after those things, they preserve them. They don't do khiyana. Now what is it that the women have been entrusted with? First of all, their chastity. They have to maintain their chastity. If they're married to a husband and they're a believing woman, I mean, she should be chaste. She should not be hanging around with non-mahram men. 
with people whom the husband does not approve of. Having a friendship outside of marriage with another man. I mean, this is something that's incorrect. So when the husband's away, he's at work, there she picks up the phone, calls her friend. Alright? Or when he's not there, he doesn't know she's sending emails, or she's chatting online, or she's texting. It's right from the husband, right? The husband doesn't know. But there she is, having a relationship outside of her marriage. So Allah has entrusted her with her chastity and she has to preserve that. She is responsible over that. Likewise, she is also responsible over the house, over the belongings of the husband, the property of the husband. That for example, the house belongs to who? The husband. Alright? The husband's gone. And he has made it very clear that such and such individual, such and such people should not be coming to our house frequently. Or if they come, I should be aware. Alright? And there she is. The moment he goes, party time. The moment he goes, all those people are coming over. And remember that if a husband dislikes a certain friend of a woman, there has to be a reason behind that. There will be a reason behind that. You know, some women, they complain, my husband is too jealous of my friends. He doesn't let me go out with them. He doesn't let them come over. And you know, it's too much of a problem for me. He's just too jealous. He's too insecure. There has to be a reason. Do you ignore him when your friends are around? Do you neglect him when your friends are around? Do you talk to them about matters that your husband does not want you to talk to them about? For example, your personal life, your financial life. If the husband says, I don't want you to talk to your mother. She's not allowed to come over to the house. You're not allowed to talk to her. I don't want you talking to your sister. I don't want you talking to your brother. I don't want you talking to your uncle. I don't like these people. Or he says, you know, this friend of yours who goes to Al-Huda, I don't like her because then she takes you with her. And when you go, then you come back and you say you want to wear hijab or we should pray and then you tell me all these things that I don't want to do. So I don't like this religious friend of yours. Now, okay, he doesn't like that. But is a woman supposed to obey him in these matters? When it comes to talking to the mother, when it comes to maintaining ties which Allah has obligated on the individual, right? you have to maintain them, you have to talk to your mother. Then you know what? You can still talk to your mother, you can still communicate with your family in a manner that is appropriate, in a manner that is acceptable to your husband. That for example, he doesn't like it when you're talking and talking for half an hour. And because of that there's no dinner. Or when you're talking to your mother and you're telling her everything that goes on between you and your husband. Some women do that. Some women do that. They talk to their mothers every day and update them with regards to every single detail of their family life. And I'm sorry, if I were the man, that would really annoy me. It would really annoy me. I mean, some things are private. Yes, I love my mother. You love your mother. But everything does not have to be publicized. You don't have to tell your mom about how much money your husband makes. You don't have to tell your mom about how much he bought that cell phone for, how much money he's paying for his phone plan. You don't have to do that. Because then relatives, they become judgmental about the husband that, oh, look at him, he's so wasteful. Oh, look at him, he's so irresponsible. And they make fun of him constantly. So he does not like that. And because of that reason, he starts stopping the wife from doing what she's supposed to do. So if he doesn't like you talking for half an hour, talk for five minutes. If he doesn't like you telling everything... Don't tell. Don't say that. And you should not anyway. If he doesn't like you hanging around with a particular religious friend, because every time you talk to her, then you're out the whole day. Or if you go with her, then you go for the whole day. And you're irresponsible with regards to your duties at home. Then don't do that. You have to listen to your husband. There has to be a reason why he is stopping you. That's the point. So, حَافِظَاتٌ لِلْغَيْبِ بِمَا حَفِظَ الله. They look after what they are entrusted with in the absence of the husbands. So they preserve their chastity, they preserve their honor, they preserve the private affairs of the husband, his property, and his children. Let me give you an example here. The money. Shared account between the husband and the wife. And the husband has given the woman some freedom as to what you know she uses the money for. She has to be responsible when it comes to using that money. If she goes on, for example, she goes to a masjid and she finds out they're, you know, raising money to build a parking lot or something and she gets very, you know, emotionally uh, shaken and she writes a check immediately of $10,000. Okay. 
And the poor husband was working day in and day out, trying to save money so that he could buy a house soon, he could buy a new car, fulfill a need of the family, you know, go back home, visit his parents after 10 years, after 5 years. It doesn't make sense for the woman to do that. Do you see what I mean? Many conflicts between husband and wife are because of such stupid decisions that women make, honestly. Irresponsible decisions that women make. Be careful. Whatever you do, keep your husband aware. Ask him. And these days, how difficult is it to communicate with your husband? Tell me. He's just a text message away. Just a text message away, really. All you have to do is just do that. So when you're doing something, which you feel that your husband might not approve of, please, ask him first. Take his suggestion before you take such a big step. You know, when you are, for example, enrolling in a particular course, when you are leaving a course, when you are taking some responsibility, a voluntary position or something, you know, something you want to help out others in, then before that you have to take your husband's consent. You know, for example, this weekend course, when I decided to teach that, I really wanted to, right? From the beginning, I really wanted to. I was like, wow, this is perfect. I really want to teach this course. And... My mom didn't ask me, she asked my husband, can Thaimiya teach this course? And only after he said yes, I was allowed. Only after he said yes. Because this is going to affect him, right? It's a long-term commitment. Any course I've taught, any subject I've taught, any work that I do, I have to take my husband's permission. I have to. Because he is my qawwam. I have to do that. Yes, it might be difficult for me that I feel so restricted and this is not fair, I should be able to make my own decisions, I'm an adult, you know, this is not right. You may have such feelings, but you know what? He's your husband, you have to listen to him, you have to ask him. And when you ask him, then you have his support. When you don't ask him and you go on doing whatever you want to do yourself, then you will not have his support. So remember, no matter who you are, No matter what your status is, no matter what your job is, no matter how much money you make, no matter how qualified you are, at the end of the day, your husband is still your qawwam. He is still boss. And you have to accept him as boss. Because you don't exist on your own. Your husband is a part of you, is a part of your life, a major part. Every place has a system. And you have to follow that system. If you don't, you're going to ruin it. In a business firm, you know, there's a CEO. And people have to listen to him. They have to ask him before they want to take a major step. And if they don't, they'll be fired. Right? Or they will face problems at work. So likewise, when you want to do something, you have to take your husband's permission. Alright? Now this doesn't mean you ask him, Can I buy these cherries? Can I buy these socks? Is it okay? They're $2.99 and with tax they'll be this much money. Don't bother him on these little things. I mean, what is ma'roof is acceptable. But what is out of normal, you have to take his permission. That it's very important for the husband and wife to communicate with each other. That if there's any decision they want to make, they don't make it independently. Rather they consult one another and then they make a decision. Because if a person makes a decision without the consultation of the other, then what happens? The other feels left out and hurt immediately. And this kind of ruins the relationship. So it's very important to communicate. So, حَفِظَاتُ لِلْغَيْبِ بِمَا حَفِظَ اللَّهِ And بِمَا حَفِظَ اللَّهِ has also been understood in another way. That they should be responsible when the husband is away. Why? Because Allah has protected the women. Women should be obedient to the husbands. Why? Because Allah has protected the women. Allah is protecting you in the relationship that you are in with your husband. Who is being protected? The woman is being protected. Remember? Al-Muhsanat, fortified, protected. So when you have been protected through your husband, then please listen to him. When he spends money on you, then please listen to him. When he is responsible over you, then please look after his well-being as well. He is making money to spend on you. Cook food so that he is healthy. See what I mean? Look after him as well. You're being looked after, you look after him as well. So it's a two-way relationship.